0: Okay, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 and last week we began looking at verses 1 to 4 and we're talking about the issue here of hypocrisy hypocrisy you know the facade of caring when you don't care Um, being righteous on the outside when you're unrighteous on the inside and all you're doing is As we talk about it's like the guy who wanted to rearrange his ashes so that he looked better for the picture, looked more humble. Uh, That's all you're doing. And uh, that's precisely what Jesus is warning against here in this passage. Uh, So look at verse 1. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Uh, That word beware means to... Pay attention to, to be on guard, to hold a something strongly. And the words to be noticed are from a word which is related to the Greek word for a theater, a place where people put on a show, uh, where they act in a performance in order to be noticed. So when you put it together, the sentence can be read as, be on guard against doing your righteousness before men to put on a show, to get their attention. Uh, when your righteousness is performed to impress rather than to serve and to magnify yourself rather than God, you receive no reward. That's what the end of the verse says. Look at it. Jesus says, don't practice all your righteousness in order to gain the acclaim of others. He's otherwise you have no reward with your father who is in heaven. God does not reward men pleasers because they rob him of his glory. And, And verse one is the overarching principle for what Jesus is gonna teach in the first 18 verses of this chapter. And after he gives this basic principle there in verse one, he then turns and he gives them three representative illustrations or examples of their religious activity that reveal whether or not they're hypocrites. And the first one is the issue of giving. So we started looking last time at what Jesus had to say about the practice and reward of false giving. Let's read verses uh, verse two. He says, so when you give to the poor, Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. And there's that word hypocrites, the first time it's used in this book. It is this word, the Greek word hypokrites, and uh, we get obviously get our word, English word hypocrite from it. Uh, It originally referred to an actor in the Greek theater who uh, would hold up a mask. All the actors in the Greek theater were men, but many times they would play a female role, so they would hold up a mask in front of them to portray the character that they were playing. And uh, they were pretending to be someone they were not. And over time, the word came to be used of anyone who behaves publicly in a way that was not representative of who or she truly was. Uh, And they pretend to be someone or something they're not. And the word has maintained that meaning for the past 2,000 years. And Jesus now turns his attention to the first illustration or example where hypocrisy is evident, and that is in giving. Now, we said last week in the Bible there are two kinds of giving, two ways in which we are to give in terms of Christian giving. One is systematic, structured, regular giving to the church. And the second kind is giving to the poor and needy, that unstructured, unspecified spontaneous over and above giving to the church and church-related ministries. Beyond those two types of giving, the Bible says nothing else about giving. Uh, It only talks about giving to the church and to the needy. Uh, If you wish to support other kinds of organizations, that is certainly not prohibited by Scripture, but understand it's not commanded either. Uh, Now, I think giving has been an unpopular subject because it's been abused and, and because people have the wrong understanding of what it's all about. Uh, you see, first of all, we said last week you have to start with the understanding that God doesn't need your money. Um, he gets along fine without it, contrary to what you may have heard some pastors sound like in the pulpit in the years. Uh, so don't think you're doing God a favor. That isn't the point. What he's after is your heart. And if he has your heart, you will be obedient to the word and you will give abundantly. And verse two begins by saying, so when you give to the poor and the Greek word that's used here refers to charitable giving. And it's important to understand that that verb speaks of an attitude. It is a verb that speaks. I mean, it, 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 it is uh, speaks of an act also there is no attitude without an act in this term Uh, so it doesn't simply refer to a longing to help the poor or a compassion for them or a sympathy for them but rather refers to the very act of helping them notice that jesus says so when you give to the poor uh, he doesn't say if you give to the poor the assumption here is that you will giving to people in need is an assumption as john said first john 3:17. whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him how does the love of god abide in him in other words your claim to even be a christian is suspect um, it's questionable james says the same thing in james 2 what use is it if someone says he has faith but has no works can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and you say to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you don't give them what's necessary for their body, what use is that? So faith, even if it has works, is dead. In other words, if you see a fellow believer who's destitute and in, needs food or clothing, and all you do is say, oh, that's too bad, brother. That's too bad, sister. Uh, I'll be praying for you that the Lord will provide what you need. Uh, and yet you don't give them anything phys- physically tangible to meet their needs, you haven't really done anything for them. And your claim to faith is questionable. So that's why Jesus says, when you give to the poor, it's assumed that one with the heart of God dwelling within him is going to reach out to one in need because the heart of God is inclined to the poor and the needy. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees were actually used to doing that. That was a part of their heritage for a long time. Uh, They had always extended themselves to the needy, but the fact was they had twisted and perverted the significance of giving to the poor. They took it to absurd extremes. They actually taught that they could purge away their sins by giving money to the needy. That's how far they had gone. Uh, It says that in the apocryphal book of Tobit. Uh, It says in another one, the apocryphal book of Sirach uh, and the Talmud, the Jewish rabbinical teachings says, uh, contains several statements such as one that says almsgiving will deliver from the condemnation of hell and will make one perfectly righteous. So that's how far they had taken it. Uh, So in their minds, not only was it a means of atoning for sin, but they also made it a test of piousity. Uh, And they really turned it into a huge display. But Jesus says the only thing God cares about is your heart, not what you did, but why you did it. Two people can do the exact same thing in giving money to the poor. The question is, why do they do it? And that's what makes the difference. Uh, Now, Jesus continues in verse two. And this is where we stopped last time. And he says that when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Now, there is a lot of debate among the commentators as to whether or not Jesus is speaking metaphorically here or literally. You see, there is no historical evidence that anyone went around actually having someone blow a trumpet in front of them when they went to give. Uh, That's certainly possible, but there is nothing in any historical writing that supports that idea. So many commentators think Jesus was just using a figure of speech to illustrate the extreme measures that the Pharisees went to in order to get attention to their giving. But it seems to me that that illustration, that interpretation, diminishes uh, what seems to be a pretty clear statement by Jesus that there were trumpets blowing when they went to give. So I'm inclined to concur with several other sound scholars uh, who believe that this is referring to the times when the temple trumpets would sound, calling everyone to the temple to give to meet various needs. And because the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests were the ones who controlled uh, what the trumpets were sounded for and when they were sounded, uh, they would prepare themselves so that when the trumpets were blown, they would head off to the temple to give their money. Uh, Kent Hughes describes it this way, quote, the trumpets would blare and people would be seen scurrying along the streets towards the temple with pious looks on their faces. Hey, folks, look at my zeal. Big giver on the way to the temple here. They thought they were really something, but Jesus calls them hypocrites, end quote. Uh, so Jesus pictures a pompous, self-righteous Pharisee on his way to Put money into the temple coffers for the benefit of the poor, kind of like giving to our church benevolence fund. And he does it all for appearance sake. He wants others to see what he's going to do. I have a Roman Catholic friend who's just like them. Uh, He periodically posts on Facebook about how he helped out some needy person that he encountered in life and brags about how good he felt about doing it. And of course, all of his unsafe friends will laud him with comments about how wonderful he is for doing such. He's really nothing more than a modern day hypocritical Pharisee. Uh, And look at the outcome of their hypocrisy. Look at the end of verse 2. It says, Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Uh, The Greek verb here is a technical term that refers to a commercial transaction. In fact, the foremost lexicon of Biblical Greek says that it means to provide a receipt for a sum paid in full. In other words, if you give in order to be honored by others, you are fully receipted. Uh, It's as if someone handed you a receipt that says paid in full. Uh, You got your reward. You wanted to do it for men. You did it for men. They gave you the reward you wanted. That's it. And that's all you get. There's nothing more coming to you no matter how much you think God should honor you. Uh, I I have said before, I like think I said it last week, that I, I miss the days when we passed around the offering plate, but one of the benefits of not doing that is that it's much harder now for anyone to see who's giving to the church. Uh, yes, you might see someone drop something in an offering box, but a lot of our money is now given online through bank websites or through the church website. And so there isn't someone watching and seeing who gives and who doesn't. Uh, but can you imagine how disgusting it would be if someone went up to one of our offering boxes as they began to put something in the box? They did so with great fanfare and throat clearing and, and some kind of loud comments such as, well, I guess this is where I put my check for the Benevolent Fund. You know, <laughs> we would all recognize that they did it to draw attention to themselves. Uh, Well, that's basically what the scribes and Pharisees did. They did whatever they could to gain the attention of others when they were going to give for the benefit of the poor. And unfortunately, I've heard other Christians say things about their giving that were said for the purpose of making certain others, certain other people knew what they had done. They, They do something for someone in need and then they make sure that they say to someone else, many times one of the church leaders, uh, something like, well, you know, Billy Bob and Betty Joe have been struggling since he lost his job, and the Lord laid it on my heart to help him out. It wasn't much, but you know, every little bit helps. You know, there's absolutely no need for anyone to know about that. Uh, But they just had to make sure that someone else knew how beneficent they were. and when they do that, they shoot themselves in the foot, as it were. Because Jesus says, you have your reward in full. Uh, and we all fight that kind of thing. Believe me, I understand. I've been there. We all have our own little trumpets. And we want people to know we gave. And so we want to find someone that we can tell. And we don't want a big trumpet, just a little trumpet. Um, there. There are those those Christian organizations out there that deliberately appeal to our fleshly desires for recognition. If you give them a certain amount, they send you a certificate to hang on your wall. Uh, If you give more, it's a plaque. Uh, And For those who really give a lot, they put your name on a huge list of donors on a huge plaque in their lobby. Um, And if the amount you give is really huge, they name buildings after you. At that point, you don't have a trumpet blowing in front of you, you got a full marching band. Um, and it's all designed to appeal to your flesh, to get you to give more, and for others to recognize how generous you are. I know that when we were gonna build a gymnasium many years ago, there was a wealthy man in our church who came to us And offered to give us enough money to build the entire thing if we would put his name on the building. Uh, We refused. He he couldn't understand why we would turn down his offer, so we had to explain it to him. In the end, he he gave us a sizable donation, although not nearly enough to build the entire gym, but the Lord provided the rest. It took about four years. Uh, Yeah, took a while, but the Lord provided it. And I know that at some point we will face the same temptation with our new building project. Uh, at this point, we only need to raise about another $90,000. But that's still a good amount of money, and it can be intimidating to some people. Uh, but there are those who have the financial resources who could easily provide that money in a relatively short time. And believe me, the elders have already discussed the question of what to do if we have someone who comes to us and says, I'll give you 50000 or or $100,000 Uh, but would you please put my name on a plaque honoring the donors on the wall in the new lobby? And our answer is no, we will not. Uh, We want the Lord to receive the honor for providing the funds to do our renovations. Uh, We aren't looking to honor someone who, like the Pharisees, is looking for the recognition of people rather than the recognition of the Lord. Uh, There are so many unbiblical approaches to motivate people to give today, and I'm quite confident it's disgusting to the Lord. Uh, Let me just say that whatever you give, whether it's in reference to the church or the needy, please don't blow your own trumpet because that's hypocritical. Just give to the one in need. Now, can I give you a little caution? Make sure that the one in need is really in need. Don't support healthy beggars. Uh, read 2 Corinthians 3.10. It says, if, some, if anyone is not willing to work, he is not to eat either. Uh, don't support someone who can work but won't. You can support the poor by giving them work. Uh, you can support the poor by giving them some self-respect, by giving them something to do. Uh, now, there are some who are so destitute and so infirm they can't work. That's fine. Uh, those need to be cared for. But be careful that you make the distinction. Don't just indiscriminately and wastefully support healthy beggars. Uh, If you offer to let them work for money and they keep making excuses why they can't work, don't give them the money anyway. Let them go get one of the many unfilled jobs that are available in our country right now. Well, that brings us to the last point. We've seen the danger of false righteousness in verse one, the practice and reward of false giving in verse two. Now we come to the practice and reward of true giving. Verses three and four. Jesus says, but when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So what is to describe the manner of our giving? Well, Jesus uses an extreme absurd illustration to emphasize the intense privacy that should be present when we give to help others he says do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing now because 90 percent of people are right-handed it is the right hand that most people normally use in giving now that doesn't let left-handed people off the hook his point is that it is to be a secret matter Uh, a couple of the old german Theologians of the eighteen hundreds uh, presented an idea I thought was interesting. They said that Jesus was referring to the Pharisees' practice of pulling the money out of their money bag with their right hand and then parsimoniously counting it into their left hand in a showy manner before giving it to the needy uh, that 's certainly interesting, uh, but i I guess it 's a possibility, but i I think they're trying to find a reasonable explanation for Jesus using such a metaphor rather than just accepting it at its impossible face value. Uh, It's far simpler to see this as just an absurd figure of speech that Jesus is using to emphasize the privacy that's to be involved in our giving. Uh, We we just recently saw how in Matthew 19 he used the impossible illustration of a camel fitting through the eye of a needle. So Jesus would use extreme illustrations in his teachings in order to illustrate how impossible something was. So it's far easier to recognize this. It's just another impossible illustration to make his point that giving should be such a private matter that you don't even keep track of it in your own mind. Uh, There was one commentator who made what I thought was an excellent observation about this. Uh, He said, very tongue in cheek, If the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, the left hand can't be and get involved. And It's very hard to clap and applaud for yourself with one hand. (laughs) So so you see the idea is the freedom and the spontaneity of giving without calculating it. Uh, Again, I think uh, Kent Hughes had an excellent explanation as to what our attitude in giving is to be. Here's what he writes. He says, the idea is not only are we not to tell others of our giving, we're not to make a big deal of it to ourselves. We are so subtly sinful that we will refrain from an outward show in giving and then pat ourselves on the back uh, or our, for our profound humility. We must guard against this. Do not keep a diary in which you jot down your good deeds, assuming that it's so spiritual because you did it privately. Do not keep track. Do not give yourself merit marks. Forget your goodness. Follow God, do it, and forget it, end quote. Uh, you see, the, the point is that privacy in giving is very important. Uh, that kind of privacy helps ensure that our giving is not prompted, even in part, by a love for the praise of peers. Uh, no one will know what we've given, and just in case our secret inner pride will be nurtured and exalted, we ourselves are to purposefully forget what we have done. Uh, When your fallen flesh causes that thought to pop into your mind uh, that says, oh my, what a wonderful person I am for giving so generously to that person. It's too bad that no one else knows just how great I am. If those thoughts come to you, just stop thinking about those. Don't nurture those thoughts. Purposely think about something else. Because if you allow those thoughts to drive your thinking and take root in your mind, eventually you will make sure somehow that you make certain someone else knows what a tremendous giver you are. Uh, Thinking always motivates action. And if given opportunity, self-pride about what you have done in this area will eventually spill out into uh, you somehow letting others know what you did. So then what I'm saying is this. Not only should other people not know, but there's to be a part of you that shouldn't even know. It shouldn't be a settled account in your subconscious. It, it ought to be forgotten. You ought. Not to be even able to remember the last time you did that for someone. Uh, you shouldn't even remember it. Just give it and forget it. Uh, that's indicting, isn't it? Uh, because we remember our good deeds. We think, My Lord, don't forget I did that. You know, I, I hope it's on your books. As so we can somehow earn brownie points with God that way. Uh, We remember when we should forget Uh, One way that the Jews of Jesus time provided for the confidentiality of those who wanted to give and those who had needs To receive them was to provide a private place in the temple where gifts for the poor could be left without anyone seeing what was given Uh, The priests would then collect what was given uh, what was left in that room and move it into another room known as the chamber of the silent and those who were poor uh, who did not want to be seen asking for help could go into the chamber of the silent and uh, take what they needed. Uh, People gave and people were helped and neither group knew the identity of the other. Uh, We do a similar thing with our benevolence fund. People give to the fund and then a very small limited group of people administer that fund Assisting those in the church who have needs and the people who receive the assistance have no idea Who gave the money to help them and other than that small group of people who know who administer the fund? No one else in the church knows who receives the fund the help Uh, obviously those selected to administer the benevolence fund must be people of the utmost integrity and discretion and I can say with absolute certainty that that is definitely the case now it's important that you notice that your attitude in giving determines the outcome of your act. That is, whether or not you're rewarded by God the Father for what you did. The end of verse 4 says that when you give in the right way with the right motive, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let me tell you something, folks. You do it and forget it, and God will remember it and reward it. You do it and remember it and God will forget it and there will be no reward. Uh, So take your choice. Do you want the blessing of God or the applause of men? Uh, Don't keep mental books on your giving. Now, I know the New American Standard translators were trying to be helpful when they added the words, what is done to that last clause in verse four but it really isn't necessary. Uh, There is an argument for their inclusion, but they don't really add anything important to our understanding. Uh, The ESV translates the Greek text uh, literally exactly what it says, which simply says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Uh, I like that better because God not only sees what you did in secret, but he also sees the secret motivations of your heart, uh, and he'll reward you. Uh, Hebrews 4.13 says, "'There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do.'" He sees everything. He knows your heart. Uh, he knows if your religion is real or false, and he knows what motivates your giving. Psalm 139, eight to 10 tells us, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. So he sees your heart. And so as you live your Christian life, make sure you're real. If As you give, give God's way. Give to those in need without a thought or remembrance. Don't be a hypocrite. Uh, and let me just clarify one point. It's not in my notes, but I want to clarify one point. When I say give in secret, don't let others know mm-hmm. what you're doing, I do not mean that a husband is to give without talking about it with his wife. I don't mean that a wife is to give without talking about it with her husband. Uh, but the two of them should not run around and say, oh, guess what we did. Or either one of them, Neither one of them should do that. Uh, so. Uh, Now it'd be very easy for me to just conclude right here in this passage and move on to the next subject in this that Jesus covers in this sermon. But before we do that, I think we need to recognize that scripture commands us to give and there are at least seven principles to guide us in non-hypocritical giving. Uh, So I wanna go through those with you. Uh, The first one is this, giving from the heart is investing with God giving from the heart is investing with God you see it's very important that we give Paul thanked the Philippians in uh, Philippians four fifteen to 19 for the financial gift they sent to him and he basically said I don't need it but you needed to give it because when you gave it you put yourself within the framework of God's blessing and verse 17 says not that I seek the gift itself but I seek for the profit which increases to your account you see giving is all about being blessed when you give with the right motives you place yourself in the realm of God's blessing and so Paul continues in verses 18 and 19 to say I have received everything in full and have an abundance I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And then he concludes the thought with this assurance, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You see, it's God's blessing that is the issue. We give and God blesses in accordance with his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean what the health and wealth charlatans say it means. Uh, it doesn't mean send your money into them, and God will pour out financial blessings on you. Uh, it does mean that God will bless you when you give to his true faithful servants and their ministries, but it doesn't necessarily mean that those blessings will be financial. Listen to what scripture says about God's blessing those who give proverbs eleven twenty five The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. Luke 6.38 Give and it will be given to you. Uh, they will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return. Second Corinthians nine six: Now this I say, he who s- sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now if you step out of that circle or cycle of blessing and don't give, there's nothing for God to bless. There's no return and it just keeps tending to poverty. Pretty soon you're out of resources. Uh, The principle in all of giving is this. You need to give because it puts you in the circle of God's blessing. And what you give, God blesses. And then he returns the blessing. And when he returns that blessing, you give again. The second principle is this. Genuine giving is to be sacrificial. Genuine giving is to be sacrificial. If there isn't some degree of sacrifice involved, it's questionable whether or not you're even giving at all. In 2 Samuel 24, David wanted to buy the threshing floor of Aaronah the Jebusite in order to build an altar on it and sacrifice to the Lord. And Aaronah wanted to simply give the threshing floor and the oxen for the sacrifice and the wood for the fire to David but David's response was I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God which cost me nothing David realized that to do such without any cost to himself was to insult God you don't say here God you can have this much I don't need it that isn't any great act of love Uh, It's when you give God that which you need, that which you have a use for, that's when you've made a sacrifice. There's a third principle. the Responsibility to give has no relationship to how much a person has. Let me repeat that. The responsibility to give has no relationship to how much a person has. People say, If I had more, I'd give more. I'm barely scraping by. Surely God doesn't expect me to give. But when I hit the lottery, then the Lord will hear from me. Well, hitting the lottery won't make a difference. In fact, you'll probably use your winnings to indulge yourself with all the covetous desires that caused you to play the lottery in the first place. Uh, Luke 16.10 says, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing, is unrighteous also in much. It isn't going to change your character to have more. Every one of us needs to be giving to the Lord's work and to those in need, regardless of how much we have. We, we just, we must be faithful in both little and in much. You know, it's extremely important to teach children this principle. Now I know that most of the people in this room are beyond the stage where you have little children in your homes, but uh, you probably have little grandchildren in your homes periodically. And uh, you need to teach your children to teach your grandchildren these things. Uh, Train them at an early age to give generously to the Lord and others with whatever small amounts of money they get, because the attitudes and patterns they develop as children, are likely to be ones they follow when they're adults. When our children were very young, we gave them a dollar a week as an allowance and I would give it to them in quarters. Uh, And I recall that when our daughter was around five years old, we gave her three baby food jars and she would put one quarter in one jar, two quarters in a second jar, and one quarter in the last jar. And one of the jars with one quarter was for saving to buy gifts for others, or sometimes for a special purchase uh, for herself. Uh, The jar with two quarters was for week-to-week spending as she wished, and the last jar with one single quarter was to give to the Lord. Uh, It was the way we trained her about the importance of giving to the Lord and others. Uh, So giving is not a matter of how much you have, It's a matter of where your heart is and what your commitment is. There's a fourth principle. May I say one thing? Yes. That brings to mind the widow and her mite. You know, she gave because she wanted to give. She didn't have anything to give. Right. Fourth principle. Material giving correlates to spiritual blessings. Material giving correlates to spiritual blessings. In other words, if you're not faithful in what you do with mundane things such as money and possessions, God's not about to entrust you with things that are of far greater value. Uh, that's what Luke 16:11 and 12 tells us. It says, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? What are true riches, ministry, and spiritual impact in people's lives? God is not about to give a strategic ministry to someone who can't handle money. There are many men who never made it through seminary because they couldn't handle money, and the Lord didn't want them in his ministry. There are many others who have dropped out of the ministry because of their inability to deal properly with money, There are some men who stayed in the ministry, but their ministry has been small and insignificant because God would never commit to them the eternal soul of a person when they can't even manage their own finances. Uh, That's a part of the requirement in First Timothy 3, that an elder be one who manages his own household well. If a man is unable to manage his own finances, don't entrust the church to him. Uh, so, your spiritual effectiveness, that is, the dimensions of your spiritual influence, will have a lot to do with how you handle your money. The fifth principle giving is to be personally determined. 2 Corinthians 9 7 says, each one. It must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. Whatever you purpose in your heart to give, that's between you and God. Righteous giving is done from a righteous and generous heart, not from a legalistic percentage or quota. Don't be taking the Old Testament law for Israel. On tithing and applying it to New Testament saints. That was God's taxation system for Israel in the Old Testament to provide for the government and care of the Levites. But in the New Testament, it's entirely free will giving and offering. And when churches and their elders are doing God's work in God's way, He will provide through His people. Uh, the Macedonians gave abundantly out of their deep poverty because spiritually they were rich in love. The Philippians gave because they chose to give out of their heart of love, not because they felt compelled. It is to be a spontaneous act of the heart. There's not any prescription. It's personally determined. Yes. Personally determined. Pardon? What was the reference? The reference I gave was 2 Corinthians 9 7. Number 6. We are to give in response to need. We are to give in response to need. we are be sensitive and listen to needs. In Acts 4-5, the early church shared its resources because there were people who had a need. Many of their fellow believers had become destitute when they trusted Christ and were ostracized from their families and lost employment because of their faith. And years later, Paul went through all, throughout all of Asia Minor, collecting money from the Gentile churches to give to the saints in Jerusalem, because there were still great needs among the saints in Jerusalem, and that had been intensified by famine. Now, I realize that there have always been charlatans who manufacture needs and play to the sympathy of others. And there have always been professional beggars, those who have been able to work, but would rather not. A Christian has no responsibility to support such people and should take reasonable care to determine if and when real needs exist before giving money to them. Paul told the Thessalonians, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat." Uh, When he wrote that, he was giving them instructions on how to deal with professing believers in the church who were lazy and wouldn't work. We are not to allow them to take advantage of us because they claim to be believers like us. Encouraging laziness weakens the character of the one who is lazy and also wastes the Lord's money. I've shared this example before, but many years ago there was a single middle-aged woman in our church who had worked in private industry for several years and she was quite capable of work. She obviously had no husband, was not seeking one. She was physically able to work with no disabilities, although she often tried using excuses regarding relatively minor illnesses to explain the complete disorganization and constant tardiness and lack of planning in her life. And she claimed to have worked in a technology field for several years, but because of a failure to update her skills, she had lost her job and could no longer obtain a job in that area. And she began using our church's Benevolence Fund as a means of financial support. And she spent hours in counsel with some of our counselors regarding her failures to organize her life. But she continually made excuses and refused uh, to accept any suggestions for how she could turn things around, and she was counseled and confronted Uh, by at least three of the pastors and a couple of the counselors at various times with no results, only excuses about why nothing was her fault, that it was all because of the bad economy, which at the time was not bad, uh, and how everyone in her industry was corrupt and mistreated her. Uh, Her financial situation reached a crisis point in which she was in danger of being evicted out of her apartment and the need to take any kind of job at all became a priority for her rather than continually waiting on something to open up in her field which had long since bypassed her. Um, I recall very vividly a conversation I had with her about getting a job. She had very specific limits on what conditions that she felt she had to work in including air conditioning, a clean environment, and flexible hours. Um, so I recommended that perhaps she entertained the idea of getting a job in a grocery store as a cashier. I knew that my, from my two sons' experience of working at Publix when they were in high school uh, in college that it fit all of those requirements that she had established. But I'll never forget her response to my suggestion. She said, oh I could never do that. Because if a customer came through my line buying items that I consider unhealthy, I would have to tell them it was wrong for them to eat or drink that way. Uh, I said, but it's not your job to police what people choose to eat or drink. And she responded, but I just couldn't do that. I would feel like I was to blame for their heart conditions and other medical problems brought on by unhealthy eating and drinking. It's just wrong for them to eat that way, and I couldn't be a part of it. Uh, and after months of that kind of excuse making, she was finally told by our benevolence committee that there would be no more financial assistance for her because she refused all counsel regarding work and job retraining and how to overcome her disorganization and perpetual tardiness. And so we did exactly what 2 Thessalonians 3 teaches regarding her situation, but rather than repenting of her sin and getting a job, she became angry and left the church accusing us of being insensitive to her. Uh, I still have the emails in which she chastised several of the church leaders by name and uh, the church in general for what she called our rude disregard of her situation. Uh, The fact was that she was lazy and simply found excuses why she couldn't work rather than genuinely trying to fix her problems. Uh, The reality was she wouldn't work. So we were forced to refuse support for her any further. But where real need does exist, our obligation to help meet it also exists. And so we must give to meet those needs. Uh, That applies for those who are young and healthy and are working and doing whatever they can to meet their own needs, but are coming up short uh, for whatever reason. It also applies to those who are infirmed or disabled or elderly and cannot work. If, If they have financial needs, we're to give to help. The seventh principle is this. Giving demonstrates love, not law. Giving demonstrates love, not law. You're not under any law to give. There's no... As I said before, there's no New Testament law to give in a sense of a percentage amount or a fixed sum. It goes back to what we said in the fifth principle about being personally determined. We're not giving to satisfy some legal system. It's out of a sense of deep love that we give. That's why it's to be cheerful, not grudging, and out of, and not of necessity. It's not a law. It's an act of love. And the greater your love for Christ, the greater your love for your fellow believers who are in need, the greater will be your giving. Now, those are simple principles. Invest with God, make it sacrificial. Remember it's not a matter of how much you give. God will bless both you and your giving. You personally determine how much you give. You give in response to need, and it isn't a matter of how much you and it is a matter of how much you love. Now, how much do you want to invest with God? How much are you willing to sacrifice for him who sacrificed all for you? How much of the spiritual blessings do you, are you do you really want to be worthy of? Uh, How much of need do you want to meet? Uh, How much love are you trying to demonstrate? The point is this. God is not saying give because I want your money. He's saying give because it's a spiritual exercise that brings the true blessings of God into your life. And the greatest reward, the greatest blessing that you can ever receive is to know that you have pleased the Lord. And when you love him, you will give to his work through the church and you will give to those in need, and that brings us to the end of Jesus' first illustration. Yes. I uh, six. Yeah, I said in Acts four, chapters four and five. I was talking about so ten. Okay. Yes. Number four, you said material giving correlates to. Spiritual Blessings. Spiritual Blessings. Okay. Any others? Yes. about giving like, to the poor, you know, that, about that, like, um, that are not in Christ. Okay. What about? That it? are needy. Yeah. That, okay. We're, again, it's not commanded by Scripture, but uh, we're to give to the poor. And uh, because Scripture talks about giving to the poor, our, your brethren. Now, there's two ways to interpret that is that when jesus said that he was there's you could say he's talking about the jews in general so they're to the give to both of those who were true believing jews and those who were not uh, so there's nothing wrong at all with helping them at the other hand there's many of the new testament letters that talk about this and it's very specifically talking about your christian brothers you know james is that when if you see your brother in need he's talking about christians fellow believers so we know for with absolute certainty he's talking about giving To fellow Christian believers. Uh, But some of the things Jesus said would also indicate it goes beyond that. So, okay? Yes? When you give, you get all of these, you you give to a couple of organizations and then you just get a flood of them. Yes, yes. When you give give to one outside organization, believe me, they all find out about it. my mom has been gone now, home with the Lord for over seven years. I'm still canceling uh, stuff with where I'm getting letters from Christian organizations and saying, "Please take her off your mailing list." Uh, because, we still have one coming for my mom. Who yes, I wrote who, who's been gone twenty some odd years. Yes. Oh, so. Twenty-three or four. Yeah. They. It's like once you're on a mailing list, you're forever on a mailing list. Doesn't they matter that you. Hmm? sell Oh yes, they sell those mailing lists. lists. Yeah. So. You know, one other thing: when you give, give it under no strings attached. Right. If you give something to somebody and they don't need it, and they sell it or give it to somebody else, that's fine. Yeah. In fact, just as a principle for the church, just so you know. When someone gives us money to the church, they'll say, You know, I'd like this to go to, let's say, the benevolent fund or to the building fund. And we want to honor that. And we, as far as we possibly can, we do that. However, technically, under federal law, when you give to a 501c3 like us, a church, you're giving it to us with no strings attached. If we take your money, as you said, please put this in a benevolent fund. And we say, you know, that's, but I the funds chock full right now and we need the money over here in this other place. We can actually legally do that. Now we don't do that. But just so you know that that is the law. So, okay, anything else? Richard, would you close us with prayer, please? Almighty God, what a privilege it is to listen to a, an exposition of your word. Uh, Thank you for that, Lord, and I ask you to help us to internalize what has taught us.